This episode of Pitch List is brought to you by Screened Threads. Screen Threads is a family-owned business specializing in Nashville curated gifts. Check them out online at ScreenedThreads.com or visit them in person at Marathon Village. Hey everybody, Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to Pitch List. Join us on a deep dive into the heart of what makes writing songs and making music so magical. Let's find out what makes songwriters tick, and along the way, remember why we love music. Welcome to Pitch List. Before we start the show, I have some news about Pitch List. After today's show, we are going on hiatus. At this point, I can't tell you when we'll be back, but I know in my heart we will. For now, I'd like to say thank you. Thank you for all your kind words. Knowing that you are out there and that you like the content has fueled me from the very beginning. My mission has never wavered to bring you a real ground level glimpse into the song business. And I think that's best done by conversation because writers are as diverse as snowflakes. And I've also tried to show you that success comes from committing time and love, nothing else. I hope to have demystified a few things and shown you that this is anyone's ball game. This last year, I did not continue my last publishing deal. I had hit the wall, 25 years. My love for music and the people in it propelled me for 25 years. Through ups and downs, years without a hit, years with surprise cuts, and even a single just when I thought I might be done. It's been an amazing, fantastic, terrible, magic ride. And I'm not sure when, but I woke up one morning and realized I was burnt to a crisp. For the first time in my whole life, I wasn't excited to clock in for a writing appointment. For a while, a new dream had begun to creep into my consciousness. Truthfully, it was an old dream. When I was 25 and playing bars in Texas, I got fed up and quit music. I moved to LA to be a screenwriter. I lived there for about five years and made some progress and some great friends, some of whom have gone on to major Hollywood careers. Cut to the present. For a year now, other than Pitch List, I have devoted all my time to screenwriting, and life is strange. So, I'm off on a new adventure, but I suspect that after a good long break, me and music will start to date again, maybe even move in together. We'll see. I don't want to rush it. I hope this isn't too much information, but bottom line, Pitch List is going on a slow simmer. We're not shutting it down, just taking a break. Dana is hard at work on her next record, which is awesome, by the way. And I promised her that I wouldn't make any promises about a return date for the show, but I know we'll be back, so stay tuned. And I couldn't finish out without saying a word about Dana. Bottom line, Pitch List would not exist without Dana. She is the engine that drives this train, and I could never thank her enough for her work that she has put in and the genuine love she has for this show and the listeners. Thank you, Dana. I can't believe I was lucky enough to find you, and I know we will work together some way, somehow, for a long time. Until then, 
Go write your asses off. Swing for the fences. Do the wrong thing. Freak people out. Write what others are afraid to write. Set your muse free and hold on tight. Blast through your inhibitions and doubts. Burn the bad blueprints you got from your family and society and write new ones, good ones, crazy great ones. Don't wimp out on me. God made you perfect. Give it every damn thing you have. When I started this podcast five years ago, our guest today was my target, my Mount Everest. She is the definition of female country music for her generation, cutting hit after hit and selling out arenas all across America, all the while pulling off an impossible feat, recording songs with substance and meaning and making them massive hits. And as good as she is as an artist, she's an even better person. She currently has an exhibit running at the Country Music Hall of Fame called Martina McBride, The Power of Her Voice. I'm so happy she's here. Here's Martina McBride. Good morning. Chris Lindsay here on Pitch List. The day is finally here. We've got a guest we've wanted for a long time. A special guest, and I'm going to say this, I don't want to jinx this, but I, I think this is going to be one of the best Pitch List guests ever, Okay. I'm going to, before I say your name, I'm going to read off a few things. Five most played female country artists of the past 20 years. 23 million albums sold. 20 top 10 country singles. Six number one country singles. 15 major music awards. 14 time Grammy nominee. And there's another one, which is four time CMA female vocalist of the year. If you haven't guessed, we have Martina McBride. How are you, Martina? Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much for being on Pitch List. My pleasure. I've been wanting to do this for a while, so I'm well, glad we worked it out. I'm glad we worked it out. And as, as we were talking about, before we started recording, um, we are in person, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yes. it's The Zoom thing is great, and it got us through the pandemic, but we were discussing that it's so much better to be in person. It really is. You know, there's just an energy that you can't really get over Zoom. Yes. You know, and a connection. Well, as you know, we are a songwriting podcast. So I'm going to try to split this in two things. Okay. I have a lot of artist questions. Now, I've known you for a long time, Mm -hmm. and I know a lot about you. But I have dug in and found some things that I didn't know about, and we'll get into those. But also, just to let you know, uh, most times when you're interviewed, you're coming at it from the artist's point of view. I'd like to talk... about songs too okay sure is that okay of course and we'll kind of split it in two so i'm going to start with the uh well we'll start with the artist stuff you've got two recent records out right white christmas and then um it's the greatest hits the double double Mm -hmm. vinyl here's my question both of them are on vinyl right talk to us about that how did you make that decision and i think that's so great by the way yeah well i love vinyl okay you know it's how I was raised, you were raised, yep. listening to vinyl records. And so when I w- was a little girl and dreaming of having a record deal or a rec- you know, I didn't even know what that was, but wanting to make records, I pictured holding my vinyl in my hands, right? When I got signed with RCA, vinyl was out, CDs were in, so I never really got to do that. And so, um, yeah, we just decided to to make these two albums available on vinyl. And for me, it's such a thrill because, you know, we went and mastered it differently for vinyl. We mastered it for vinyl. Um, I learned a lot about 
press, pressing records, which I didn't right. know about. And um, just being able to hear, like, for instance, whatever you say or this one's for the girls on vinyl is was it's such a thrill for me, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I've known that you and your husband, John, um, you guys have a great uh, record player and stereo. Yeah. And we were over there one time and we all sat down and listened to some records uh-huh. and I hadn't listened to a record player in so long and it's magical. It is. It's if anyone listening, I'm sure you've listened to vinyl, but if you haven't, or if you're not really taking time to do it, it's such a great experience. It is. It's, it's a warmer sound. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I feel like sometimes it's more emotional you know the 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 music listening to it on vinyl especially if you have a really great you know setup turntable needle all that i even have a turntable in my kitchen wow it's like i just love to put on new records old records i'm so thrilled that that artists are new artists are printing you know vinyl records so we can enjoy the new stuff yeah well i know um you and your husband own the premier studio in nashville and uh probably the world Thank you. Um, you are a more technology forward artist than most artists. So when hearing you talk about making the record and you're involved with actually cutting in the acetate and all that mm-hmm. stuff, um, do you think that that environment that of Blackbird Studios has sort of helped you be more technical person, or were you always a technical person about recording? A little bit of both. I mean, I was always very involved in making my records. And even from the from the get-go, you know, I was like, I had a lot of, I didn't know anything about making a record when I first started. I'd ne- I had never been in a studio or just been in small ones in Kansas. But, uh, you know, Paul Worley was my producer for a long time and was really uh, generous. And it, when it came to making records about, you know, explaining things to me, I learned pretty much all I know about making records from him and and so you know but I was very curious and and wanted to be really involved in that stuff and so he he took the time to explain things and yeah then having Blackbird I don't I think more than having Blackbird is being married to John right you know right so being married to a sound engineer both live and in the studio it's just kind of it it comes up a lot you know I've learned so much from him about microphones and about compressors and all all of the things so that that's been really helpful for me yeah as i hear you talk it, i get it you could not live with john mcbride and not absorb audio geekdom yeah he's exactly the, he's <laughs> the head audio geek of the world yeah his and your collection of vintage mics compressors eqs i don't think anyone has it right it's, well, he's, it, it's he's the a, biggest in the world right probably he's kind of a I don't know whether to call him a collector or a hoarder, but it's maybe somewhere in the middle there. But it's like, yeah, he loves gear. And, and you know, it's great for me because if I hear a sound on a record, like if I hear a drum sound that I love or I hear a, a delay on a vocal, I can say, hey, can you listen to this? What is that? And, and, he, know, and he can tell me what it right. is, right? So right. It's, like it's, it's, it's like being married to, I don't know, like a little guru. Like I can ask any question and... and say i really love this vocal. i love this vocal tone i love the air and the vocal let's see EQ- you know can we get toward more toward that sound and he's like sure yeah. so i mean i don't know it's fun it's fun yeah that makes sense that makes total sense if you hear something on a record you're like i love that you guys can kind of store that in the memory banks mm-hmm. and when it's appropriate for what you're working on you do it 
Yeah. Yeah. John, we could do a whole podcast on John. I know. You should have him on. <laughs> I want to, and I'm going to, if he'll do it. Oh, because he'll do he, it. he is, he's a character. He is a character, yeah. He's a character. I mean, he's a true character. He has no filter. And so, no. like, you don't know what you, you know. You oh, be yeah, careful but, what you ask for. <laughs> but but the thing is, it's great. And one of my favorite things about John is he is the number one Martina McBride fan. Yeah, he is. You know. I yeah. mean, he really is. It's yeah. crazy. It's so beautiful. Your partnership. Yeah. You know, the music business is tough on marriages, you know. People yeah. know that. Yeah. And you guys, I'm knocking wood, but have had a successful family and marriage and you mm-hmm. work together. It's, it's really great. Well, it's like you and Amy. You know what I think? If you find someone that you value you will treat them right that's right that's you right. know mm-hmm. if you unfortunately if you have someone you don't really value you may not treat them the way you mm-hmm. need to mm-hmm. it's just that simple yeah i i couldn't do better than her you know she's amazing she is amazing I, and you know what truthfully i would not have had the career that i've had whatever it is um without her i just wasn't that kind of a forward business person mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. more introverted yeah, I feel that way about John. That's kind of what I, how I feel about our partnership too. Is, you know, I always had a lot big, big dreams, right. obviously, and you know, it was my decision to move to Nashville. But when I said I want to move to Nashville, he's like, "Okay, let's go." Right. And he had like he had his own business, a sound company in in Kansas, and moved moved uprooted all of that. We didn't know anybody here, and just like he's always up for anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, it takes that kind of um, positivity and passion and energy and that kind of support because I could have just as easily been married to somebody who was like, I'm not moving to Nashville. Like, pff, my whole life is here. You know what I mean? What are you oh, talking yeah. about? And that would have been. I wouldn't have had the same career, I don't think, if I hadn't have had someone who was just, yeah, let's do it. Sure. Yeah, totally supportive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think things are better now in that department, but Amy had girlfriends back in the day, and I, you probably did too, that married dudes who just didn't want them to be in the music business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there were several of those girls that left, and, and they were amazing. And it's just like, wow. Yeah. I think for a Danish generation, they would just their mouth would fall open if that could happen. But it was off. It did happen. Yeah. Let's talk about it. So you and John moved from Nashville. Um, you were married. Mm-hmm. You guys worked together in um, Wichita. Mm-hmm. You moved together, and he got hired on the Garth tour. Mm-hmm. Was it because of his sound company that he hooked up with Garth? He got, okay, so he moved to sound company here, as I said, and and. He went out and ran sound. Garth was the opener. Clint Black was the middle act. And Ricky Van Shelton, I think, was the headliner. Okay. And so he just came home. I'll never forget. I was at my parents' house. And he came home. We were living here, but we were back home visiting because the shows were in Oklahoma. And he came to my parents' house and was raving about this Garth Brooks guy. He's like, you cannot believe it. He's climbing on the speakers. It's like a rock show. It's amazing. And so... You know, John being the exuberant person he is, he, he really connected with that energy. And so he, he spoke to Garth at the shows and said, we just moved to Nashville. I have a warehouse. If you guys ever need a place to rehearse, you can come rehearse for free. And they just started a friendship. And Garth did come rehearse at the warehouse and then hired John as his production manager when he went out and started headlining. And he said, told John, if, if, when I can afford to carry sound, I'll, I'll hire your company. So he did. And, and then 
promptly outgrew the sound company that John had. Right. So John had to, you know, buy, grow the company. So really, Garth was the reason that he was able to do that, and then able to to sell it to Clear Brothers many years later. But um, yeah, fantastic. So he's working with Garth now. I've read, and I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but I read. So did you go on some of those tours and help and like sell merch? And I did. Stuff? I sold merch. Yeah. So we were basically newlyweds. We'd only been married a, a year and a half, and he was all of a sudden gone all the time. And I didn't. I was waiting tables and singing demos. I didn't really know anybody. I was young too. I was like twenty two, and um, or twenty three, maybe barely. And so I was like, um, I don't love this. Like, can I? I want to be with you. Like, is there anything I can do on the road? Like for a job. And so he went to the merch guy and asked if I could come sell t-shirts. And I did that for like seven or eight months while we were still making demos and trying to get a record deal. It's fantastic. Did you, did you learn anything during those, like watching all that happen? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, just the way Garth, you know, treated his fans and there's a, a work ethic that is, really strong and you know he, he's from Oklahoma I'm from Kansas we kind of have the same work ethic I think we recognize he recognized that in me as well which is why he gave me the opening spot on his tour the next year you know so I went out and opened 77 shows as a nobody I mean I did I when I did my first show in Denver Colorado opening for Garth I don't even think my single was out yet I think it was maybe barely out but nobody knew who I was and he he didn't even really know that I could sing or perform like it was a total leap of faith. Wow. You know? Wow. So, yeah. And you got your record deal. Mm-hmm. Was Joe, Joe Galani, was mm-hmm. he your first guy that signed you? No, um, uh, Josh Leo. Okay. Yeah. And then Joe came back. Joe was in New York. That's right. And he came back shortly. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a year or two into it. Right. Yeah. But a big stretch of your career, Joe Galani yes. was your guy. Yes. And you guys always seem to have a great relationship. We, did. we still do. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. great, man. He is great. You know, he's he's very, he was amazing for me. I don't know if every artist would say the same thing, but I think they would. Like, he came to a show one time of mine, and he's, he, he said, after the show, he's like, you know, when I watch your show, like, it's so you. Like, uh, every song is feels so authentic and so you. And I said, Joe, that's because you never, ever tried to control what I recorded you never said, no, that song's too serious. No, we can't do that. It was like, you let me be me as an artist. You let me record whatever I wanted. And he was always so supportive of those big, like Concrete Angel. Right. All those big, serious, you know, Independence Day, Broken Wing, all of those. He was, never, ever did he shy away from that. As a matter of fact, when we recorded the Greatest Hits record, we put four new songs on there. And it was coming out in the summer, in June, and he wanted Concrete Angel to be the first single. And I said, Joe, <laughs> I don't know about that. It's like, it's a really heavy song, and, and it's summertime, and I don't know, maybe we should go with something else first. And he, you know, said, okay, but he, he just never shied away from that side of me and really encouraged me to be an artist and believed in me. That's so valuable. Yes. You know? And just to put a point on it, unusual, record companies tend to want you to record lighter, uh, mm-hmm. up-tempo, fun things that are easy for radio to digest. Mm-hmm. Those songs you're listing are challenging. Mm-hmm. Challenging emotions, uh, Independence Day, it's a tough situation. And it is unusual for a guy like Joe to be not not like okay with it, but pushing it. Yeah, 
I know. It's really great. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have had the career that I have without that. You know, I would have, if, I just wouldn't have the career that I had. So, yeah, he was, when you said earlier about valuing people and how you treat people, like, I felt, always felt valued there with him. So, it was a great gift. When you were making the uh, first records, I want to talk to you about the song pitching process because mm-hmm. we have a lot of writers that listen and a lot of new writers. And I know they're going to be curious, like what your process is when people bring you material or like, do you get a lot of song pitches and uh, do you like to hear a lot of songs when you're making a record or how does that work for you? Yeah, in I, general? Lo- I love to hear a lot of songs. I, I listen to hundreds of songs for each album and usually it's a first it's a it's an immediate impression okay. like you know I'll, I'll hear it and go oh yeah that's i want to record that song it's it's a combination i mean i like i like to have lyrics that say something um but also then you know it has to be a great melody too so it has to be a great song Right. And, and and that's subjective, you know. Song songs are subjective. Some people think song love songs that I don't like, and vice versa. So, it's. But at the end of the day, that's what makes you an artist. You know, you what you're drawn to and what you choose to record. Um, but when I was working with Paul Worley, we would we had it was cassette tapes back then. Yeah, <laughs> and we would oh, call I, it. Our, I remember. I remember. <laughs> we would call it our sack of songs, and we'd have we'd have sack of songs, <laughs> and we'd just listen to them one after the other, and we we played this game called Smash or Trash, and it would be like, is this a smash or is this trash? And it, you know, no song is trash, but it, I mean, we had reverence for the song. No, writers, you're saying you know you're going to trash it. You're going to throw it. Yeah. You're not. It's not for you. That's right. We're going to throw it in the trash. So we would just listen, and usually it's like. Within a verse and a cor- the first chorus, I, you know, you just know right. whether it's going to work for you or it's something that you're passionate about or drawn to. So, yeah, I, but I love to listen to a lot of songs. That's great. Um, and I, I get it. A song sort of just hits you. And if, yeah. it, if it hits you right, then you're interested. Yes. And then you're interested and you dig in a little further. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, are we covering ground I've already covered? Is this good? Is this pushing me in the right direction? I think a lot of younger writers can also try to pitch an artist something right where they are or what they just did. Oh, yeah. Not thinking that artists, you know, as an artist, you have to grow. Yeah. As a writer, you have to grow. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's always you're trying to pitch them somewhere they might be going. That's so smart. Yeah. Not not where they are. Mm -hmm. And this idea, when I first moved here, there was a lot of this and they would, you were a demo singer at some point. Mm -hmm. They will come in and get somebody to sing just like the person. Oh. You're pitching a song with someone doing a sing-alike of the singer. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to irritate them more than anything. <laughs> Put a great singer on it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what you want to do. A singer that can sell the song. Yes. Because you know yes. you know as well as I do, sometimes you get a demo that's a great demo. Yep. And, you're, and you get in to record it and you're like, right. there's no song here. Right. It was just a great demo. It, it, it happens all the time. Yeah. And there are also demos that are terrible demos mm-hmm. and great songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the challenge, I think. Mm-hmm. For me, I would, if I were ever producing something, I, I would do it this way. I'm like, if I'm wondering if this is a hit, it's not. Yeah. Like somebody pitched me what hurts the most mm-hmm. for the Mark Wills project before Rascal Flatts cut it. My first reaction was, you are telling me I can have that. You're, you're saying I can have that song. <laughs> yeah. That right. was the reaction I had to that song. Yeah, you. I have to have that I song. I have to. Yeah. And I just, I, in my car, I'm calling, trying to get a recording studio, yeah. knowing that it's going to get taken, you know? Right. That's the difference between 
Like, uh, is it? It might be a hit. I don't know. Is it good? I don't know. Do you like it? Do you like it? Right, exactly. And you know what? I, I, we always want to have a a quota of hits on a record, but I don't listen for just hits. Like, right, right. I flesh out a record, right? So I love like some of my favorite things that I've ever done or al- album cuts that probably <laughs> a lot of people won't ever hear. You know, right. But I love finding a great song regardless of whether it sounds like a hit on the radio or not, right? So I always tried to, you know, when you hear one of those, when you hear My Baby Loves Me, or right. you go, that's a hit. I, I, I want that. And I love what it says, and I love it, so I want to record it. And then the fu- then sometimes it's fun to hear a song, you go, they're never going to play that. That's never going to get played on the radio, but I love it. Yeah. Right? And you can also be wrong, because you can think, I'll, it'll never do. We're going to do it anyway, and then all of a sudden, it does get played on yeah, the radio. True, I've seen that happen too. It's like, wow, okay. Yeah, I love the idea of songwriters writing not for a hit. I know that's how some, we the songwriters make their money, and I understand it. I get it. I totally get it. But there's something about getting in a room and magic happening, and it's you might go, well, this is. This might not be a hit, but it's, you know what I mean? Yes. I, I love that idea. And I think sometimes young songwriters are trying to write a hit, obviously. Yep. But, you know, you have to let that magic happen sometimes too when you're in a room with and writing a song. I 100% agree. I think that magic is so rare that it's ridiculous to mm-hmm. try to think that you're going to corral it into a, even a genre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. much less a tempo that's not how that works yeah it's so beautiful so rare and so special you just have to let it come in the room and just get it in the jar yeah pray you get it in yes. you know be, and then let the chips fall the, where they may mm-hmm. um yeah it's a it's a mistake people make and that's why you have the career you have you cut great songs and you're a great singer and you, you. gave your fans substance mm-hmm. like you said a whole record and when they come see you live, a true great singer and, you know, fantastic, wonderful material. That's what people want. It's, it's not that it's such a simple formula. You'd be surprised why they don't follow it. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe they don't have the singers, you know, they're rare people, you know, people like you are rare, that level. Um, I've read something this morning that I didn't know. I got to ask you. In the 80s, you had like a little, was it a new wave band? Would you call it that? A cover band you were in? It was a rock band. It rock was like, band. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I love that. I bet you were amazing at that. <laughs> we sang, I sang Heart. Yeah. Journey. Um, Pat Benatar, of yeah, course. Of course. Uh, that, that little new wave record that, uh, not little record, but the Linda Ronstadt, uh, How Do I Make You and yep. those kind of songs. And um, yeah, it was like a rock band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, are there any recordings in existence yeah, of that? I just found one the other day on a cassette. I haven't listened to it yet, but yes. Oh, that's got to yeah. be amazing. You know, I was 17, okay. 18 years old, had just graduated from high school, and all of the band were older guys, and not older like 50, but older like 25. And so we traveled around in a van with a, that had a hole in the floor. We... <laughs> played rock clubs you know so it was a kind of a I had come from a really small town it was a bit of a fast existence for me for a minute but I wouldn't trade it yeah absolutely yeah yeah and you get experience yeah um but you grew up 
as a country person, probably listening to a lot of, or did you listen to everything when you were growing up? I, when I was small, you know, my dad is a, had a country band as a right. hobby. So he, it was all country music. Like he, he was not really, well, he loved Elvis and Etta James. And my mom loved more like uh, Moon River and Quesera Sera. Mm-hmm. So there was some of that stuff. Um, but then when I got to be a teenager, and, my, and I, had older brothers, I had an older brother and an older sister who listened to pop radio. So when I get in their car, I'd be, like my br- older brother was like CCR. He was into like rock yeah. bands, like CCR, yeah. like Molly Hatchet, <laughs> like all of that. Oh, yeah. And my older sister was into more pop music. So she, you, I'd get in her car and it'd be like Casey Kasem and like, uh, whatever was on the top 40. And so I started listening to pop music. And then I got turned on to like... Um, Pat Benatar, I was I would go home every day after school and just put on my Pat Benatar records and just try my hardest to hit those notes and have that vibrato and have that power. And her and Linda Ronstadt were probably the two, you know, p- people that I listened to the most at that time. Ann Wilson. So, totally makes sense because yeah. you do have that power. So you 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 worked on that. And I, you, I do. I think yeah. it was like because, you know, that little town, we didn't have any vocal, any such thing as vocal lessons. Right. right so right. I think that was really just listening and trying to be the those singers is what how I developed my voice that's crazy that's great I, I it, it completely makes sense don't go away pitch list will be right back after the break this episode of pitch list is brought to you by screened threads telling a story is what screened threads does every day Screen Threads is a family-owned business specializing in Nashville curated gifts. Thoughtfully crafted and simple designs set Screen Threads apart. Check them out online at ScreenedThreads.com or visit them in person at Marathon Village, located at 1200 Clinton Street, Suite 38 in Nashville. To get 10% off your purchase, use the promo code PITCHLIST online at ScreenedThreads.com or in person at their store by mentioning Pitch List Podcast when you check out. I want to shift gears. Okay. So at some point, and I don't know when you started, but it, I started hearing about it. And actually, uh, Amy and I a couple times did write with you. Yeah. Sometime in the journey there, you started to write songs. Uh-huh. Um, let, let's talk about that. Okay. Are you Do you still write? So I didn't write songs for a really long time because... Right. Why would I? I mean, I had all these amazing songwriters at you know, it, at my fingertips. Like I could hear a lot of great songs, and I, I just never really pictured myself a songwriter. I mean, I did write it a little bit in high school, but like the people that I just mentioned, the people that I looked up to were sing, were not really singer songwriters. They were more you know the interpreters. So, um, like Linda Ronstadt, for example, or Bonnie Raitt, or whatever. I mean, I know she writes, but um, so it wasn't really like ingrained in me that I had to be a songwriter to feel fulfilled as an artist, right? But everybody kept encouraging me to do it. Right. And and so the Warren brothers, yep. Brett and Brad Warren, uh, were actually on tour with me as my opening act, which was a whole <laughs> they're so crazy. <laughs> they are I love crazy. Them. They are crazy. And they came to me with they kept wanting let's write, let's write, let's write. And I was like, I don't I had I just was like, I don't need to do that. So they brought me um a bit of the song anyway. Right. And I said, it was at catering. I'll never forget. I said, that's amazing. I'll, I'll record that. You go finish it and I will record that. I was cutting a record. 
And, and they're like, now I look back incredibly generously said, no, you have to write it with us. And I was like, so we, I was like, oh God, okay, fine. I'll write it with you. So we went in the, like a little locker room and, and hammered out the song in like an hour. And that was my first kind of, that was my first song that I wrote that made it on an album. And, um, how did that feel? What did that, how did you kind of walk away from that? Like, did it change how you record the song or how you, you know, when you like, how you felt about the song that you were a writer or I I would say at the beginning, Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, every song that I record feels like my song. Right. But it, 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 it is different. Yeah. Knowing that you had, like, I always say being able to write the words that I want to say instead of waiting for someone to say the things that I want to say. Right. And, and you do feel a little more, I don't feel more connected to it. I feel proud of it. Yeah. Um, it was interesting making the record because we didn't have a demo. Oh, okay. So it's like, I knew it, I wanted it to be this big record, you know, this big sounding. Well, I didn't know that actually, but intuitively that's kind of what I wanted to do with it. But no, I, no really, it was just, a, I just had a singer, like I just had Brett singing it with his guitar. And so that was like the first time that I'd, I think that I'd made a record without, without a real demo, like it, or any roadmap at all. Right. So that was challenging for a minute. We were in the studio struggling with it, and I called Brett Warren, and he he said he gave me some direction. Well, how about if you do it like? And I was like, Oh my God, that's it! I can't remember what it was now. I'll have to ask him. But yeah, wow. Amy used to uh, <clears throat> when we record demos. She one time she pressed the button. It was like a lot of chaos going on trying to get because it wasn't going well. <laughs> she pushes the button. She goes, uh, "Listen, uh, I don't know any of that music talk, <laughs> but but we need." Uh, Less something and more Aerosmith. Oh, that's great. And they yeah. were all like, got it. Hit red. <laughs> yeah. And like we had been going back with numbers and, you know, the, the whole chart for like five minutes. <clears throat> she said one thing. Yeah. And it was like, okay, we got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes it's just that reference that you, you, yeah. it paints the, it just clicks into focus. What are you working on now? You know, I, okay. So the pandemic did different things for different people creatively. For me, it was a uh, much needed break, okay? So a lot of people used it to make new albums and new art. I really just stepped back from it creatively. And, and, and I realize now that I kind of, like that's a muscle that you have to kind of use or you lose it because I've realized that I've had, been kind of inert. Like I've had this inertia where I can't really move forward with anything but it's starting it's just now starting to wake back up and so like I've been thinking about wanting to make a a, like an old-time country gospel record for a long time and kind of how I want to do it is back in my hometown of Sharon Kansas there's a church that's a Christian church that I actually you know grew up singing in with my dad and and it it came up for sale like about 20 years ago for like five grand like wow i'm with an acre of land like wow. it was like like two I, I i so i was like i don't know what i'm going to do with it but I, I want i don't want it to get turned i don't want it to get torn down right and i don't want it to get turned into like a hay barn so i'm gonna pre- really just preserve it and um i want to go back and record the album in that church oh that's such a great idea yeah and do like um 
You said like an old timey gospel. Yeah, like, like a country. choir or or no, no like I guess not. More like acoustic. More acoustic. I, I really want it to be more mountainy and kind of like um, okay, back porchy kind of back porchy. Yeah, love it. I bet it sounds amazing in there. But yeah, I think so. And we, we, I took John in there, and I'm like, "What do you think?" And he's like, "Oh, these acoustics are great. It's all wood, tons yeah. of wood, and you know." So well, plus the vibe. Yeah. The vibe. You know, I always used to like Oceanway Studio, too. Not as much as Blackbird. <laughs> okay, let's get that straight right now, John. But Oceanway used to be a church. And yeah. I think that's a that's a cool vibe in there. Yeah. And it kind of, it can be part of the sound. Or, uh-huh. I don't sure, know. Yeah. I think vibes hang in buildings. Like Absolutely. You go to Europe, some of those old churches, it's like, you can feel it, man. Yeah. Or the Vatican, you can, you don't have to be Catholic to walk in there and right. have the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Yeah. You can be an atheist and have that happen. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's talk, if you want to, you're an incredible interior decorator. Also, chef, but you're, it's really interior decorating and your style palette is incredible. And I think it's a skill you have that people don't know that really could be showcased. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know. This is an interesting conversation because I have a passion for that. I have a passion yeah. for cooking and for, you know, interior design, aesthetics, beauty, whatever you call it. And sometimes I feel like in this, I don't know if it's this country or if it's just this, this is a thing for human beings everywhere. But I feel like if you, if you start out and you're successful at something, that's kind of, that's how people see you. And I'm, I'm, I'm the same. Like right, I, I right. you know, Kevin Costner has a band, but. Right. You know, he's Kevin Costner, the actor to me. Right. And it's so unfair because we get we get people aren't it's like you're not allowed to have more than one career or interest. Right. You can only be successful at one. Right. Right. You couldn't possibly be good enough at two. (laughs) Exactly. But I like like on tour, I like to do my own hair and makeup. Really? A lot of people don't. But no. for me it's so relaxing and it's so it's so that that period of time before the show that I sort of get into into it. You know, I, I start I always call it the transformation, you know, from just hanging out on the bus to to be, to being on stage and it's like for me it's so relaxing and fun. It's the time when I warm up or listen to music or you know, whatever. So It's great. I get it. Yeah. It's like a little routine, yeah. like a little meditation yeah. that transforms from wife, mom, whatever you are, yeah. you know, to a business person mm-hmm. and then to be on stage into Martina McBride. Yeah, yeah. I get yeah. that. You're very involved also. I heard this several times, and I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to ask you. Um, okay. With your stage show and your live show, mm-hmm. you're you're a, a whip cracker. You want that <laughs> stuff to be right. You're a perfectionist. Is Th- that true? That would be true. I love it. I, don't not, feel, I, love I feel like I'm a super, super easygoing person, and I think when it comes to that stuff, for the most part, and I think... You know, the fact that I've got crew members that have been there for 25 years attest to that and band members that have been there for yeah, 25 years. So exactly. it's like, I don't take no without an explanation very well. Most, I take I take no with an explanation very well. Like if you can pr- tell me why this isn't going to work or is a bad idea, I listen and I'm like, got it. Next idea. Let's move on. Yeah. But if somebody just says, no, I don't want to, we can't do that. And I get the feeling that it's really because they don't want to do it or don't know how to do it and won't take the time to figure out if we can do it or not I, that's hard for me to accept mark of a successful person yeah yeah you you, you can't be it's too it's too uh, competitive too high level mm-hmm. you have to be that way mm-hmm. i think you have to yeah 
and there's a way to do it like you do it super nice but um amy's the same way i think it's even harder on women yeah because there is a culture of men still to this day like don't worry sweetie just Mm -hmm. go get on the internet we'll handle all this gear you know what i mean yeah yeah we'll put an x on the stage yeah go do your makeup go do your makeup (laughs) right and uh i there's it seems like that's still around a little bit i think it's harder for women and uh, Amy's great at it, man. She she'll she's very disarming, but she will not take no for an answer, even probably when she should. I love it because there are people that just will accept no, like they'll accept, and and you know it. it I always say, let me talk to him. Right, right. <laughs> you right. know, it's like sometimes you can. It's just persuasion and just passion. Like if they see that comes across as passion to me. Like you want to work with passionate people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and if someone has a three-year schedule, well, you know, schedules change. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. You know, if y'all were in the middle of a record, and I watched this happen many times, and then uh, we would get word back, um, well, they've got all their songs, they've got one day to track, and it's closed. Martina yeah. Records in the bag, done, move on. Well, something slides in Concrete Angel. Or yep. so, I don't know that that happened, but yep. one of those songs, and all of a sudden, well, we're cutting that one. Yeah. There's always room for something great. Yeah. There's always room. How is Amy with deadlines? Terrible. <laughs> Me too. I'm Terrible. I'm always like, well, that's the deadline. What's the real deadline? Right. 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 And and one of my pet peeves is when like a re- somebody will need something by the end of the day on Friday. I'm like, what are they going to do with that over the weekend? Nothing. Right. right. Okay, so that's two more days that I could work on this and get it perfect <laughs> because yeah. I am a perfectionist. And they're gonna they're gonna demand that it's in that five o'clock on Friday, and they're gonna sit on it for two days. No, I'm gonna turn it in Monday morning. Yeah, because it's not gonna matter. It's not gonna matter. So yeah, I'm always like, what's the real deadline? And then it always gets pushed a couple weeks, sometimes a couple days, sometimes you know a couple months. But it's like, it takes time. It takes time to do this stuff. It does, and you, you know? have to be open to the flow. Yeah, exactly. Right? You got to get in the river of the muse the exactly you gotta get in the river and let go of the bank mm-hmm. and go where it wants to go man on the songwriting thing you do it i'm sure as making a record of course you gotta go with it man sometimes it just takes time it's like yeah. you have to wait wait for it to happen yeah yeah H- have you have you recorded songs that stayed on your record that you struggled quite a bit to get it the way you wanted it has that happened yeah or recut things or oh, that kind of god s- yes some things are immediate and some things just take some time and work i mean paul worley tells me that we had i can't remember which song it was now what in wild angels it's some song that he swears we cut like two or three different ways and i'm like okay i don't some some of the stuff you don't remember but i love you for example we cut that we cut i love you and then they wanted it for runaway bride the movie Mm -hmm. so John Kalodner and some people, the movie, they came in and they wanted it different. Well, what happened was Stephanie Bentley sang the demo and she has such a cool voice, but yep. it's, a, it's small. It's like a little, it was, she kind of sang it like a little, like very innocent, right. little girlish, right? I tried <laughs> to do that, but <laughs> you know, and I think they had demoitis. I think they loved the demo so okay. much. All right. And so we cut it in nashville with a studio band we cut it in nashville with my road band we cut it i went to new york and cut it with um john leventhal and i love the record that we made on it but anyway they ended up coming back to the first thing that we did but we had to go that circuit you know we had to go around it sometimes you have to go around it to settle and 
what it should be. Well, and you had other cooks in that kitchen. Oh, yeah. So you had a lot of, you know, back and forth. Yeah. And we, we did two, we did a country, you know, country version and, and a more of a, an AC version. Yeah. And I mean, it's crazy because I love all the versions of it. It's just a, it's just one of those songs that yeah. you really can't mess it up. You well, know? and it's, it's just got that thing. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. Your, that's a big deal, right? It is Your a big exhibit deal. there. Mm-hmm. When did that go in? This think, year or last uh, year? Well, it got postponed, but I think we put it, they put it in um, July, okay. oh, no, June or July of last year. So it runs till August of this year. How did, how did that feel to Great. walk into that? It's amazing. Like, it's kind of on my bucket list. You know, yeah. I wanted a, an exhibit in the Hall of Fame for a long time, and um, it's not easy to have happen, apparently. So when they said they wanted to do it, I was like, awesome. So interestingly enough, I I think you believe in manifestation, and, and you know, you sort of have to see things. Yeah, absolutely. I have kept things over the years thinking in the back of my mind, this would be great for the Hall of Fame exhibit, right? <laughs> and so I had all this stuff that I just, I mean, I, it, I did go on a little bit of a search through my garage and my, you know, because st- I am, have stuff scattered everywhere and was able to pull it in and, um, you know, some stuff from my childhood all the way through. And I think they did, I, did, I love what they did with it. They came up with the idea of not only showcasing my music career, but how the songs that I've recorded, you know, have, have meant something to somebody. And um, it's, it's really well done. I love what you just said. I got stuck on it. The, the idea that you along the way saved items for your exhibit. Yeah. I, I just want to, I just want to sit on that a second for all the aspiring songwriters, mm-hmm. including myself to think about that, man. That is manifesting destiny. That's how it really works. Because as you do that, every time you did that, you were setting your heart on something Mm -hmm. and your subconscious or your being, your soul, when you get it fired the right way, man, it'll make shit happen. Mm -hmm. And I know people call it different things, Mm -hmm. but that is such a pure example of that. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, it's it's powerful. You know, I feel like I always say that People that artists, singers, you know, people that do what we do, that make it to a certain level, have to. I knew that this could happen for me yeah. from the time I was seven years old. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh my god, that's never. I mean, the people that think that's never going to happen, guess what? It's never going right. to happen. Right. <laughs> because I'd still be in Kansas singing in bars as a hobby. You know, who knows what? But like, you have to see it. You have to know. But if I get in the right place at the right time and I get, you know, a couple lucky breaks and I work really, really hard, this could happen for me. And so, yeah, that's another way of manifestation. I think if you talk to any artist that's made it, they have they, they say, oh, I always kind of saw myself there. You know, I was like, I always saw myself kind of going up the stairs at the CMAs and, and, and doing an acceptance speech. You know, I practiced it in the mirror when I was a kid, you know. I think that's a common theme that goes through people that get to a certain level absolutely yeah. the ones i've observed 100 percent. they yeah. have and it's not it's a um it's just honestly you know as a writer you're you, you're working with new artists all the time mm-hmm. and you're evaluating which basket you want to put eggs in i mean sure. i don't want to be cold about sure, it sure, but it's a business sure. yeah you know you only have so much time so you tend to learn how to sort of evaluate new artists and you can always see amy and i will call it the eye of the tiger mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when you see that it doesn't matter their skill sets. 
because number one, people get better. Yeah. You know, people get better. That's something you people don't think about. Um, but when you see the eye of a tiger, you're like, okay, they're going to do it mm-hmm. one way or the other. And yeah, they have to have the right break and they have to be lucky. But over time, you do get lucky. Mm-hmm. You do get the break. It's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. And you have to just wait till you get your chance. But and, and yeah. keep doing it. And keep doing it. Right. Yeah. Keep keep spinning it, and then it comes up. But it also goes back to another thing I've learned through Amy, which is belief structure. If you want to change your life, you have to change your belief structure. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You had the belief structure from age seven that this was going to exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. It was going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's why it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? When you don't, ha- when you have the belief structure that it's going to be hard, the one your parents gave you, mm-hmm. or whoever. Yeah. If you can't get that one out of your head or your soul, guess what? Just like you said, it's not going to happen. Or if if the, if you're raised to believe you don't deserve it. That's the other one. Because I was always, my, I will give lots of credit to my parents. They're not perfect, but um, they did always instill in me that I had something special and that I could I, it's like I always tell my daughter she wants to be an actress I'm like somebody's gonna make it it could be why why can't it be you <laughs> right we like, say the same thing there, there's new people come along every so often there it's gonna be somebody so like yeah. that's that's kind of how I was raised and and it's and 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 I never felt like I didn't des- I don't mean deserve it like no I understand. in an egotistical way no I mean I like know. you have to feel like you are worthy of right. that in order to really go for it. Yeah. Make sense? And part of being worthy is practicing your ass off. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's where you get the confidence. It's yeah. like, how do you get good at writing a song? Uh, write 500 bad ones. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to be great, but you'll be better than you were. Yeah, true. You know, and we tell our kids, I tell them the same thing. In addition, I'll just say, look, like if one wanted to be, they're doing music, but if they were an actor, I'd just say, look, Here's how it works. You go in the audition and you kick their ass. Yeah. Just mop the floor with them. They'll hire you. Yeah. Be undeniable. What, right. That Be undeniable. That's how it works. Yep. Go in there and kill them. They don't care who you are or where you came from. That's exactly right. And go write a song that knocks them dead. They don't care. Yeah. You could be on death row. Yeah. They don't give yeah. a shit. Yeah, that's man. right. <laughs> it's so hard to find a legitimate hit song. They don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. What about touring? You have anything yeah, planned? Yeah, we're touring. We're touring. Oh, you're doing that? Yeah, we're touring now. I'm, I'm, we're touring mostly weekends. And finally, after 30 years, I'm, and I think the pandemic helped me with this, is I'm building in some time off. So like, I used to just go out every weekend pretty much. But now like I have May off. And I'm embracing that. Because it, it gives you a window where you can focus on other things or just rest or whatever it, it is yeah. that you need to do. So, um, But yeah, we're out touring. That's great. Um, how was it after the pandemic, like when you first got back out there? You know, it's better now. Like okay. we we did our first shows in July and I was, I think everybody was a little bit like, ah, is this a good idea? Like right. this last weekend we went out, of course they were shows that had been rescheduled a couple of times and they, people had waited two years, but they were just amazing. Like just that love and positivity that f- flowed from that crowd was was unbelievable. So I think people are starting to relax a little bit. I think it's hard to be, it's hard to be enthusiastic when you're a little, still a little nervous, like in the crowd, am I, should I be here? And there's still people that, that aren't coming that have a ticket, you know what I mean? But, um, it's just, it's tricky. It's for everybody 
sees it differently. But, sure. But I, what I was trying to say is I think that we, all of us have gotten used to being at home, being contained, cooking, whatever it is. Yep. Like, and it's nice. It's fantastic. So it's really hard. When I look out there in the audience and I see people that showed up, I'm like, right. damn, like this wasn't an easy decision. No. They're here because they really, really, really want to be here. Yeah. I think I have a couple other. If you Do you have time for sure. a few more questions? Your first record, you made a record at a radio station? Yeah. I was 16. Oh, your Cheating Heart. Yeah. How did, was and a that, song called Hello, Love, Goodbye, which was a Rita Coolidge song. Was that like the B-side? Did they make you a little 45? I think 45? that might be the A-side and your cheating heart was the B-side. Okay. Yeah, we made a little 45. It's in the Hall of Fame. I, I saved it. Oh, I saved fantastic. saved a couple, few copies. Um, yeah, I won a contest and the prize was you got to go into local studio with a local band and cut two songs. So Did you all ever transfer to tape and just like take the 45? Oh, oh yeah, into like into Pro Tools yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah. I need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I need to do that with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Martina McBride, I could talk to you all day. Me too. And I would I mean, love to. I could talk to. to you all day. I couldn't talk to me all day, but okay. I could talk to you all day. So thank you for being on our show, really. Thanks for having me. I mean me. it from the bottom of my heart. I've been a fan forever and feel privileged to have gotten to know you through the years. And thank I have, you, Chris. I have real respect for you oh, thank and your you. family. Thank you. I do. I'm right back at you. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see you later. This has been Pitch List. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pitch List. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcast or your preferred listening platform. And if you want, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review. For exclusive content from this week's guest and more, you can visit our website at pitchlistpodcast.com or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.